All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, I really hope you do. Uh, if you don't, there might be one in front of you if we put the chairs back correctly last night. But uh, uh, you can go ahead and use one of those. Head on over to, fir- or not First John, but the Gospel of John. And we're going to be in verses 1 today and heading on through, working our way through a few verses in John chapter 1. As we are in week 2 of our series called Comfort and Joy. As we are going through Advent, preparing our hearts for the coming of our Lord and Savior. I just want to thank Pastor Tyler for starting off our Advent series last week, uh, and he did a wonderful job. Uh, It's hard for me to give up the pulpit in Advent. It's my favorite time to preach, so you're lucky um, if you're listening anywhere. Uh, But uh, it was great, and I'm looking forward to continuing it as we work through uh, these next few weeks. But before I start, I just want to give a warning to all of you parents. If your kids are staying up with us, I am going to talk a little bit about Santa Claus today, okay? I'm not going to beat up on Santa. I'm actually pro-Santa. I think uh, uh, helping kids' imagination, a lot of Christian authors write on this, uh, with these different things is a very good and proper thing to do. Uh, So I'm not going to beat up Santa, but the problem is with Christmas time, with Advent, is we tend to make a big deal out of small things, especially when it comes to Christmas things. And I'm probably one of the worst ones in this whole church. I love Christmas. Some of you are probably like me. It takes, it's hard for you to exercise patience as the snow starts to fall. Maybe not this year, but normally in September. And, uh, and I want to put my Christmas lights up and put the music on. Nothing's better than a glass of eggnog, right? And Frank Sinatra playing in the background. Nothing completes my day like that. And so it's hard to exercise patience, right? We love watching the Christmas movies like Home Alone and Die Hard, right? All the classics, really good Christmas music movies. But we tend to put so much emphasis on these, and so much interest and so much energy in these small aspects of Christmas. They're not bad. Don't hear me wrong. I don't want you to hear that I'm saying they're bad, you up in the balcony, if you can't hear me clearly, right? They're not bad but they're small. And we wind up missing when we overemphasize these things. We wind up missing the thing that really ought to be capturing our hearts and our minds and our worship during this season. So that is my goal with this series is to put our eyes on Christ, on what we're celebrating during this time because it's something that is so central to our faith. And we want to get this right. We don't want to get this wrong. That doesn't mean you can't have fun. Have fun. Wear the ugly sweaters that light up with batteries. They're weird, but I have one too. You know, do all the little Christmas traditions, but just that you want to temper all those things, all those celebrations, all those practices with the magnitude of what Christ did by coming in flesh. And parents, your kids ought to understand that as well. So that's what I want to do. I want to help point out to you today in our passage, in the Gospel of John, and what we're going to focus on in these few verses is the idea that we need to get beyond the sentimental trappings of Christmas. We want to move past the sentimentality of the holidays and embrace what John is giving us, which is the sovereign Savior of Christmas. Amen? 
the sovereign savior of Christmas. So like everybody, as I said, I love Christmas. You probably like Christmas too. If not, you probably sit in the balcony, right? Ball humbug up there, right? No, I'm just, that's my last one. But I, I want to get, get this right. I want to put our eyes on Christ. So I normally read through the whole passage, then walk through verse by verse, but we're going to break it up into chunks today. So we're going to start with verses 1 to 8 and then do the rest. So if you have your Bibles, it will not be up on the screen for these verses Let's start in verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. May God bless the reading of his word. So in verses 1 through 8, we get this picture of the sovereign Savior. Maybe this will work. Yes, there we go. The sovereign savior. Now, we all, what they do is they, we start by going back in time. And when we talk about Christmas, we always go back in time. We either go to the Magi, which not to burst your bubble or anything, didn't come when Jesus was born, came a few years later, those wise men, right? We, uh, came a couple years after Jesus was born. Or we go back to, and we talk about the birth of Christ, or we go back before that, and we talk about the angels appearing and talking to Mary and Joseph in a dream. Or we go back even further than that, and we look in the Old Testament at the prophecies about a coming Messiah, a Savior, who would come and redeem humanity. We see these in prophets like Isaiah. But John... The Apostle John, he's taking us back even further. He's taking us as far back as possible that we can go. And he wants to blow our minds in these first few verses. He doesn't want to give us the same old Christmas story that has already been heard in the other three synoptic gospels, right? In Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are good accounts. He's not disagreeing with them. Those are true, accurate accounts. But John's like, hey, I'm going to change it up a little bit, and I'm going to go back even further. And he's giving us something different, and he's going back to the beginning. Now, if you're familiar with Scripture, when you hear these words, it might ring a bell in your head, and you might be thinking, hey, this sounds familiar. And it might make you think of the first book in the Bible, which is Genesis. Because what's the first words of the Bible, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. But the question is, in the beginning of what? In the beginning, before there was time, before there was creation, before anything that was made, John says, before all of that, there was this pre-existent thing, the word. So before anything was made, before there was time, back at the beginning, there was this word, or the Greek word is logos. So you should be asking the question, well, what is the word? Truth is, the concept of the word or the logos, it was used by many different cultures, many different groups, many different philosophies and religious sets and cults, and they were all using this idea of the logos or the word, and they all had different meanings, they all had different ideas and emphases, and depending on which biblical scholar you listen to or read on this, they're going to say things like, well... John is, you know, using this Greek idea or this Stoic idea, or he's probably coming from this proto-Gnostic thought. Ah, oh, it's all rubbish. I swear commentator, commentators just have to fill their pages with garbage just so they can sell bigger books. But none of that's helpful to what John is talking about. 
Because it doesn't matter what the other cultures used about Logos. We're talking about the truth, the theonoustost word of God, the God-breathed word. It was inspired to John. And he is talking about the Logos, the word. So what is John doing here? He's going Old Testament on us. He's, he's going back to the beginning. Before there was anything, there was this word. What is this word? So what's the biblical concept of this? Well, John's saying God created all things by his word. It's the creative power, maybe, or it's his work, it's his revelation. What this means, and it certainly is a vague concept if you're just reading through John for the first time ever. Kind of just get rid of all your prior knowledge and just think about this. A, a new believer is reading this. What is this word? It was with God. Was it just this creative, relative, revelatory thing? Was it just a thing, or was it a person? Because it says the word was with God. So there's this distinction that John is making between God and the word, and yet it says at the same time the word was God. What are you talking about, John? This word, before there was anything, there it was. At this point in our reading, we don't know what this word is, but then John says the word wasn't just with God, the word was God, and this is big. This is deep. This is a profound doctrine, and I'm going to tell you, it's not an easy one to wrestle with. John is saying this word was divine, yet distinct. What we're talking about here is the doctrine of the Trinity. And no, John is not unpacking the entire doctrine in one verse. That's almost impossible, I think. You really have to look at all the verses, uh, how they relate to God all over Scripture, and you'll understand even then, in part, this beautiful mystery of the triune God. He is one being. He is one God, but yet he has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I don't want to catch any of you guys using that egg analogy because that's just modalism, right? Don't, don't do that. That's a heresy. Just, just embrace, embrace the mystery. Here, John is just sort of referencing the Trinity, saying that it's in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So if the Word was God, that means this Word demands our worship, deserves our worship is worthy of our praise. And this word who was God is also the creator. Look at verse 3. I think I have that one on there for you. Verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You might be thinking, well, wait a minute, Aaron. I know what Genesis says. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But now here we are in the Gospel of John, and John's saying, no, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was made was made through the Word. So we begin to understand, this is why we believe in something called tota scriptura, meaning we define our theology off of all of the Bible. What we begin to understand is that our understanding of creation has been incomplete until we begin to come to John and understand more clearly that Jesus was not only present, but he was the instrument, the one through whom God the Father made all things. Jesus was there. He was creating Jesus was not created. If any of my Jehovah Witness friends are joining us today, Jesus was not created. That is a false heresy, and that is to be rejected. It's not biblical. Jesus was there, and he was creating because Jesus is God. 
Also in verse 10, he was the word, speaking of Jesus, and he was in the word. We're going to go through verse 10 a little more in a minute, but and the word was made, the world was made through him, but yet it says the world didn't know him, right? So the sovereign savior is the God. He is the creator of all things. And then we go to Colossians 1 in verse 16, which says, for by him, All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So what we're seeing is that he's not just the creator of all that is, he made all that is for himself, meaning Jesus is the point Jesus is the end of all. Jesus gets all the glory and all of it, not, not, not us, not any other creation, not any other God, but Jesus is the point of life. And then look at verse 17. He says, and he is before all things. Again, appealing to that pre-existence of Christ. And, and, and he began all things, and in him all things, here we go, hold together. So not only did he make all things for himself, not only did he sustain all, uh, sustain all things, but he upholds all things for his pleasure. The reason that you and I can breathe, the reason that any of us can sit within these chairs and meet today, the reason why we have an intellect and we can think, the reason why the universe doesn't just explode into a million pieces at a random second is because Jesus says so. Jesus is the king. Jesus rules all. That's the doctrine that John is putting here. He's talking about the supremacy of Christ. He's the creator. He's the giver of life and light. And you can see that in verses 3 to 5 of John, which says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, the idea of the word giving life, it's a little vague, and, that, but, and, and that's the word that you will read about from scholars. But, so it's, it's vague, and they can all agree on that, but you have to understand that he's talking, John is talking in the context of Jesus creating the world, that he's the instrument of creation. So he said, when it says, in him was life, in, that con- in the context of creation, it means that there is no life anywhere to be found that isn't a result of the lordship of Jesus Christ. If there is life anywhere, it is there because Jesus gives it. Be it physical life, be it natural life, or even spiritual life. If there is any life in the cosmos, it's there by the will of Christ, the word, the son. So if you're going to ask me my stance on aliens, there it is. If they're there, God said there's life. And C.S. Lewis says, we'll treat them the same way. We'll just tell them about Jesus if they ever come, right? So there it is. Just leave it there, okay? (laughs) So this is the life he's talking about. And it's that this life that Jesus gives to all. And it's, but it's unique. There's a unique aspect of the creation of man and woman that is distinct from the rest. That's why it says the light of man. It's not the light of animals. It's not the light of something else. No, it's the light of mankind. Kind. Jesus has given us life. We are made in his image, and we reflect that whether we believe in God or not. You know what's sad? What you see on the internet sometimes is people are more concerned for the lives of animals than they are for the lives of humans. This fights against that. We have a unique type of life. 
And this is why he says the darkness cannot overcome it. There is a darkness of sin. There is a darkness of evil in the world. And while, we, while the image of God in us has been broken and marred and cracked and even shattered, there is still enough there in us as humans that reflect God in part. This is the Savior, the sovereign we have to get over at Christmas time, just this baby Jesus, right? This little plastic baby Jesus in our nativity scene. We have to get past baby Jesus and see who he really is. We need to stand in awe of Jesus as our sovereign Savior. Because if, if all we do is focus just on this really small portion of the infancy of Christ, and we dial in on it, and we divorce it from the rest, then we're only embracing one aspect of Jesus. Jesus is a sovereign Savior. And in verses 1 through 8, that's what we see. But specifically, he's not just a sovereign Savior, he is also an incarnate Savior. Look at verse 9. Well, actually, you know what? I, 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 I'm going to deal with, you're probably wondering what he's talking about John the Baptist there for. I was going to skip over this, but I feel like I should address it. He's talking about this pre-existent word. He's talking about the word was God. He's created all these things. And he's like, wait a minute, let's talk about Johnny B for a minute. And you're like, what are you doing, John? Like, you're making no sense. And, and so who was John the Baptist? Really quickly, he was a contemporary of Jesus. Really, he was a relative of, of Jesus. He was kind of a, a crazy-looking man. He ate a, had a weird diet. Um, and, uh, and he was kind of an outcast. But God used him mightily and powerfully as a preacher. He was different, but God used him. So, But why is it there? Why does he randomly throw Johnny B here? Because he's talking about the word, this existent God. And then John the Baptist. And, and, and it's like he puts, it's like he, he's, he's getting a little confused. But what's happening here, there's debate about this, but I believe that there was a group of people at this time of the writing of the gospel that were conflating the person, that, the person of Jesus and John the Baptist. They were thinking John the Baptist was Jesus. And John's just taking a moment right here. I'm going to go on record and I'm going to say, no, John the Baptist is not the word. Jesus is the word. He is the Savior. You might be confused, but John the Baptist wasn't confused. What did John the Baptist say about himself? I must decrease that he would increase. Talking about Jesus. John the Baptist wasn't confused, but some people obviously uh, were. But let's jump to verse 9 now, talking about the incarnate Savior. It says, the true light of man, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. So this word coming into the world, he was entering into the world in a new way, in a different way, in a dramatic, unique, extreme way. He was breaking into creation. He was getting close, like Pastor Tyler talked about last week. And this isn't just a theophany. And that's a theological word. A theophany is the, is the physical, visible manifestation of God's presence in the Old Testament. And we see it in things like the burning bush. When you read about Moses, that was a theophany of God getting close, right? Or, or when, you, when you see things like people like appearing and looking like God or something like that. They're physical manifestations of God. But that's not what Jesus was. Jesus wasn't just a theophany. He wasn't just this kind of burning bush illusion, no, this was God, the mighty Savior, the transcendent God, descending in the person of Christ, taking on flesh and blood. 
taking on flesh and bone. He became one of us. And that's when you start cheering, one of us. Thank you. Dean, you'll get your paycheck for laughing at all my jokes. Look at verse 14. If there is any question about what we're talking about here, verse 14 says, And the word became flesh, incarnate, he became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. You know what that means? It means he took on a human nature. And he took on a human nature without laying aside his divine nature. And we need to be very, very careful when we're talking with the person of Jesus Christ and his two natures uh, because it can get a little dicey, particularly when we talk about who he was and, 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 and his second nature. Jesus did not give up being God in order to take on flesh. This gets preached wrong so often, and it's a horrible heresy to promote. He didn't stop being sovereign. He didn't stop being omniscient. He was always these things. Jesus didn't give up his divinity. He didn't become just fully man. If Jesus were to give up his divine act in order to become one of us, you know what that would make him? Not God. It would make him like Hercules or something, some son of, uh, what's Zeus, right? He'd be a demigod. He wouldn't be God. This is so serious. It's so serious that if you get this wrong, Santa won't just give you coal. He'll actually slap you across the face. (laughs) You laugh, but it's true. (laughs) Do you guys know about the Council of Nicaea? Right? So the Council of Nicaea, there was a gentleman named Arius, and he started promoting this idea that Jesus wasn't actually really God. There was two Greek words. There was a Greek word called homoousius, which means same substance, or in homoousius, which means similar substance. And Arius, he started pr- promoting this idea that Jesus, there was only one God. There could, he couldn't have come down in Jesus, so he was kind of like God or similar to God, but he wasn't God. But the Orthodox Church, which is us, we believe in Orthodoxy, right? Not the Greek Orthodox Church, but we just believe in Orthodoxy. And uh, they know pr- it's homoousius. It's one substance. He is God. He's equal to God and, and all these things. And it, it came to a council at Nicaea in 325, and it got heated. And St. Nick, Santa Claus, he was there. St. Nick, the real guy, he walks across the floor, smacks Arius across the face. So mad. And so I saw this picture on Facebook. It says, I've come to give presents to kids and punch heretics, and I just ran out of presents, right? So be careful. Be careful, church, okay? (laughs) We want to embrace the mystery. We don't want to speak where the Bible doesn't speak. But there are certain heresies and doctrines that are associated with the idea that Jesus was somehow emptying these pieces of himself. Like, hey, here's my omniscience. Here's my omnipotence. Here's my omnipresence. I'm going to put these in a bag and throw them away. And now I can become man. No. This is why the condescending love of Jesus is so overwhelming because he was all those things, all of God, yet he veiled them. He veiled them. That's one reason why I just love one of those verses in that song, Mary, Did You Know? Like, did you know when you kissed your baby boy, you were kissing the face of God? It's a powerful line. 
He hid them, and he walked with us. This is the grace of God. He is fully God or fully man, or truly God and truly man at the same time. Homoousius also means no mixture. It means his natures don't mix. They are distinct, but there's also no separation. He can't just, there's no parts to God. He's not like uh, Lego where you can just divide them up and take them apart. And make, no, he is one God. He's fully God, fully man. Remember what Philippians chapter 2 says to get this dumb picture off the screen here. It says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Meaning he didn't see his exalted place in heaven, his perfectly exalted and divine experience and glory. He didn't see these things and that he had to hold on to them, but rather he could put them aside in a sense and, an experience, and take on another experience. He remained fully God, but he was willing to take on flesh, to be born like us, to become obedient to the point of death, even death upon a cross. Jesus became one of us. That, this was absolutely necessary for our salvation. He couldn't just come as a spirit. He had to come as one of us. He couldn't just show up and pretend to be like us, like, oh, I'm wearing a hat now. I'm part of the group. Hey, am I cool like you guys? I'm just trying to fit in. No, Jesus became one of us, and he died for us to save us. He's fully God. He's fully man. And we're going to spend the uh, next couple Sundays talking about some of the sacrifice that Jesus made. But let's just drive this home by saying that we've got to get past, we've got to get beyond just this baby Jesus and marvel instead at the incarnation itself. The fact that God came into a baby, into flesh. We need to marvel at that. We, we should be worshiping every Sunday wholeheartedly just because of that fact alone. God with us. So we have an incarnate, sovereign Savior, but he's also, my last point, a saving Savior. Now, I know that kind of sounds like a redundancy, but there are lots of Saviors in our world, right? There are lots who claim to be Saviors and deliverers, but Jesus, he ain't claiming it. He's not fronting. He's not a poser. He's not a pretender. He's not a fake. He's not a wish. He's not Santa Claus, and he's certainly not a plastic decoration that we put under our tree. He is the living God. The one who made all that is, and he exists in glory, and he has come down in humility to save us, sinners who blaspheme him and have broken his laws. This is the one that we give our lives to our hearts to. He's not a small religious icon of a painting that you look to. We're talking about the word. We're talking about something far bigger. Jesus, he doesn't just make a difference in your life. He doesn't just make a difference in your life. He delivers you. He saves you. That's way more than just making a difference. And one of the differences that we see here in this passage that we're going to talk about is that it, he makes us children of God. Look at uh, verses 10 through 13. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of will of the flesh, nor of will of man, but of God. This is huge, church. This is life transformation. 
transformative. This is what makes us who we are. This is our identity. Jesus, who created the world, who came to the world, what happened? The world at large rejected him. Not only the world, but even the Jews. His own people rejected him. But some didn't. Some received him. Now, to receive Jesus is different from the idea of accepting Jesus. I know it's a little bit of semantics for a lot of you, but you don't really accept Jesus, right? Like, I accept you, Jesus. No, we receive Jesus, and he actually accepts us. It is different. Uh, To receive Jesus means to recognize who Jesus is, the Word made flesh, the Son of the living God, the Christ, the Savior, in whom is life and life that gives the saving life and eternal life. And he only gives that to those who believe. That's really what it means to receive him. It means to believe, to trust him, to follow after him. As many as received him, he has given the right.